It's the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min, and it's our end of season Premier League awards show. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu. And on this edition, we're going to be bringing to you our Premier League awards, which means we're going to be picking from a number of categories, which include player of the season, manager of the season, overachievers, underachievers, the signing of the season, worst signing of the season, the biggest flop that could be a team player or manager. And of course, the young player of the season here to join me here to give their picks, uh, as well as you guys having to listen to mine. You're probably sick of listening to me uh, throughout the course of the season. Oh, first of all, uh, the brilliant Harry DeCosimo. Harry, how you doing, mate? Hi, Harry. Thanks for having me back on. Looking forward to this. Always a pleasure, my friend. Always a pleasure. And of course, uh, regular social club panellist, uh, Mr. DDL is back. How you doing, DDL? I'm very well, thank you, Harry. And Harry, good to see you again. Good to see you, Dan. I just want to, before we get into it, I just want to congratulate Dan on uh, on his team's um, qualification for the, the premier European competition, the Europa Conference League. I, I'm sure you're absolutely chuffed, Dan. Well, I just started planning what I was going to do on Thursday evenings, and then we went and scored. And I was like... I found a decent alternative. I was just looking forward to a to a season off, but but no, we get to um, traipse across far eastern Europe to play against they teams. Couldn't have made that trophy anything that tournament anything worse? Could they? It literally sounds like the Vanarama National Conference <laughs> thing. It, yeah, it's like, yeah. It, it just makes it just just really does make it sound awful. And but have you seen the trophy? It's, the trophy is really nice. Yeah, it's so, quite nice. It's quite a nice trophy, but you have to beat like Astrid Georgiou and. Astana, and I, you know, yeah. I, I tend, I tend not to pay attention to the physical appearance of trophies. To be honest, it, it feels like a pointless investment on my yeah, time. But, um, and then, and then when I realised Roma are in it and they're going to be managed by Jose Mourinho, I kind of, <laughs> I kind of, I kind of know how it ends. So, so <laughs> I get eight, eight months of them looking up where certain teams come from, only to get knocked out one um, nil to Jose Mourinho at some point. So, yeah. so yeah, really excited about that. Thanks for. Thanks yeah. for thinking of me. <laughs> no worries, man. Uh, let me say a big hello to uh, everybody in the live chat box at the moment as well. A uh, big thank you to Sam and to Tom uh, who have signed up to the membership scheme. Tom, thank you so much, mate. Uh, thank you to Sam as well. Thank you guys for your support of the channel. Uh, just before we get into it, uh, T New Coleman says, Harry, you sound a bit under the weather. Mate, I've got a god-awful cold. When I say to you that my commentary yesterday on the game was one of the hardest 90 minutes I've ever endured. Trying to speak without coughing um, was was a tall order, but we got there in the end just about. Uh, I had to press mute on the microphone a few times, but is what it is. Uh, but thank you. And uh, just a quick reminder that this podcast is brought to you by manscaped.com. So if you're wanting to sort out your nether regions ahead of the lockdown uh, fully lifting, if you're planning to go out on the pool, 
out on the town and you need to address what's going on down there, then head over to manscaped.com, enter our discount code, which is 90min20, and you'll get 20% off of your order as well as free worldwide shipping. I highly recommend the lawnmower 3.0. Great piece of technology. Fantastic. But without further ado, let's get into our Premier League awards for the season. I'm sure there's going to be some debate around this. Um, let's begin with the player of the season, uh, because we know that Ruben Diaz uh, has been named as the Football Writers Association player of the year. Uh, it was the first year that I ever got to have a vote in it. So I was quite chuffed uh, about that. And I voted for Ruben Diaz, which gives away my answer. Uh, but let me come to you, Harry. Um, what did you go for and, and, and what are the reasons for that selection? Uh, well, I voted in the FWA for Bruno Fernandes and I did that because I did it too early. I got my vote a few weeks ago, as you did, Harry, probably. Um, and it's the first year I got it wrong uh, and, I, and I did get it wrong. I think I went at the wrong time. I, I think at the time I voted, Fernandes was in better form than he ended up being. Uh, Man United were relatively still close to City in the, in the table as well. But Diaz is, is by far... The, the the right choice for me in, in in the end if I if I could go back I would change my answer uh, I think that the way he made the difference I think people were so so desperate to see how it would work out and I think a lot of people were were sort of desperate to see to, to see him fail because it's the one thing that, that people put at Guardiola's door was that he couldn't buy a centre back he 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 spent all of this money and and on these flopping centre halves and all this sort of thing. And he came in, and he's 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 finally been the one to replace to replace company. The way he he's the the way he's almost not played in a Man City way. Someone I think Gary Neville compared him to to Puyol, and I think that that's a better sort of that's a good suggestion because it it, it sort of puts to bed this sort of the, this idea that everyone in Guardiola's team needs to be first and foremost this this brilliant footballer, which he he can still play. Don't get me wrong, but he but he's there. To really shore up the defense, and he's made John Stones look like a different player as well. And, and so, and also, he's put um, Laporte in, in third place in the pecking order. And Laporte was was the reason apparently last season that Man City, him being injured, was the reason Man City didn't win the title. So it's almost a, a sort of three player swing as to why he's he's sort of really the reason why he's made Man City so much better. Um, so I, I can't look past Diaz, even though. You know, I, I made the mistake. You know, I think Fernandez for me is probably number two on the list, but uh, you know, or, or possibly Harry Kane, but but no, none of them really come close to Diaz just for the impact that he's had, and yeah, he's just been fantastic. Brilliant stuff. And, and just before I come to Dan on this, feel free to put your as we go through the categories, throw your suggestions in the live chat, throw your votes in the live chat, and I'll pick up a couple of those uh, each time before we move on to the next category, Dan. I've got a feeling you're going to disagree with us on this one. I've got a feeling of who you're going to go for, but tell us who it is and why. Yeah, it's it's not so much it's not so much I disagree with the player you've picked, and I hate doing what I'm about to do because I'm a Tottenham fan and people will think it's just it's just being tribal. But but Harry Kane's been the best player of the season this season in the Premier League. 
even the best number nine, the best number 10, the best number eight, the best number six and the best number four. He's played in about six or seven different positions. He scored more goals than any other player, more assists than any other player. I think he's probably made more clearances than Diaz. And that's a kind of testament to the other two statistics where we've had to play eight months camped in our own box and the guy still produ- still produced the numbers he's produced. And I just think this is not something I've said before. I've, I've never called Harry Kane the, the player of the season before in any of his previous years. Um where he was scoring more goals and Spurs were finishing higher up the table. But this season, for me, he has added another dimension to his game. He's playing in a really, really poor side and, and he's outperformed everyone in the division in every area. And um, it's, it's pretty straightforward for me this season, um, I'm afraid. And, and, and it is Harry Kane's. And Harry Kane's turn, in my mind, to, to finally get the credit that he's deserved over the course of a career. But... So there you have it. Two votes for Ruben Diaz and one for Harry Kane. Uh, over in the live chat, let's see what you guys are saying. Uh, Sam Tonks has, I think, gone for Ruben Diaz, but says, uh, yeah, if it ain't Ruben Diaz, which is the correct choice, would have to go for Ilkay Gundogan. His spell over Christmas carried City clear. Really good point. He certainly enjoyed a very good season, has Ilkay Gundogan. Uh, Graham Beecroft has gone for Jack Grealish. I'm not sure I can fully get on board with that one just because of uh, the fact that he's missed quite a lot of games at the back end of the season, um, which is obviously going to work against him a little bit. Uh, 28 Guy Happy has got four players of the year. He's come with Martinez, uh, Dallas Fernandez, and Kane. Marquis Signing, who's an Arsenal fan, says, unfortunately, Kane. So uh, Didi are not alone in uh, in selecting Harry Kane for that one. Let's move on to the next category. Let's go with our manager of the season. Uh, Dan, I'll come to you first on this one, mate. Who's your manager of the season and why? It's um, it's David Moyes. It's David Moyes. Um, because if I don't like someone and they've impressed me, then, you know, that, I've got to take that into account. But, you know, da- David Moyes, if you look at West Ham probably with two months ago last season they, they were looking to me like they were going to get sucked into into um relegation they've not had a massive amount of spend they've had to sell their striker who they bought for 42 million the year before because he was rubbish um he's found ways to to overperform and overachieve and um he's played really good football west ham as well that you wouldn't associate with a david moyes side um, and i think to get west ham into into the into the big six the European Super League six at the expense of a couple of other clubs. You know, what, what has he got to do to, to not win that award would, would be would be my question. You know, you look at the contenders, it's easy to say Guardiola is the manager of the year, but has he has he has he done better than Moyes based on based on expectations? I'm not sure. So it's David it's David Moyes for me this season, unfortunately. I say, unf- I, I say unfortunately, that's not fair. If he, he's been the best manager, he's been the best manager. And um <coughs> I think he's done a, an absolutely brilliant job with with um, with West Ham. And again, I was I was, was going to say as well to to get Lingard into the club um, and get him performing instantly from from a long spell on the bench as well, and the way he's quickly integrated him in. You know, there's a hell of a lot of things David Moyes has done this season that have been really really impressive. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that, Harry. Let's come to you, mate. Who's your manager of the season? And yeah, I mean, I don't know if you realise that the Guardiola has actually just been voted the LMA manager of the year just about an hour ago. Um, but uh, for me, it's Moyes as well. I think Moyes, uh, I agree with DL completely. I think when he was at Sunderland and 
after you know Real Sociedad, which was which was fairly successful at times, but ended up being more on, on the failure side. Manchester United as well. Everybody and West Ham's first time. Everybody, I think, just thought he was done. And I think people loved the idea that he was another that you could add to the scrap heap that everyone talks about of British managers: Mark Hughes, Alan Pardew, Steve Bruce. Um, <laughs> you can see, um, you can see him pounds. boiling up as he said that. Um, uh, yeah, so but 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 he's bounced back. He's done exactly what he did. It, almost a carbon copy of the job he did at Everton. He's done at West Ham, and I think that's testament to to his relevance in a sense. Football. We always like to talk about how it's moving on, and how Guardiola and Klopp and all these guys have come and changed the game, and it's taken it away from those guys. He's really proven that it hasn't. For him, and that he he's still one of the best. Um, he can still or mix it with the best, I should say. And uh, yeah, it's a, I mean again, DDL mentioned uh, Lingard, what an impact! And I don't think many other managers bring him to West Ham. Um, and actually, uh, the thing was as well, they played Newcastle on the uh, opening day, and the narrative around that was so strange because. Um, Newcastle won the game two 0 and it was like Sky Sports and everyone was going it was just it was just it justified themselves because um, Newcastle were the favourites going to that game. They had a good summer. They brought in Callum Wilson. They brought in X, Y, and Z, and St. Maximum was there. It was a really good side. They were going to challenge for top ten. West Ham, Dire Straits had just sold um, Dean Garner to West to West Brom. The players were, you know, there was, there was a real sense of revolt around the club, and it was like. What's going to happen here at West Ham? And that game, if you took the 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 narrative after that game, you would say which one's going to go and 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 challenge at the top. It wouldn't have been West Ham. Um, and yet he turned it round and he calmed that down and he just got on with it. And it's a carbon copy, as I said, of what he did at Everton so often. And he did yeah. that without so with so <clears throat> such little fanfare. But what you know, but while also winning the, you know, he won the LMA manager award at least three or four times I think doing that so I think he was the right choice for me I understand in a sense why Guardiola's done it because obviously he's they've City have been the only consistent team this season and in difficult circumstances and I've looked at the table the thread earlier on Twitter of how difficult how strange the season's been and how we, and how it's reflected in the table um, and for City to be the only consistent side I think deserves some recognition but not nearly as much recognition as West Ham, I mean, people might have said West Ham, you know, it might, it might have been edgy and cool to say West Ham won't struggle this season, but nobody was predicting sixth. So, no, agreed. for me, it's obviously it's obviously David Moyes. David Moyes. So, both of you have gone with David Moyes. I can, I'm can. i having a look at uh, the chat box. Uh, contrary to what people think, I don't think Mikel Arteta is the manager of the season, right? So, let's, <laughs> let's get that out there, out early doors. My manager of the season is not David Moyes. Um, although I acknowledge that David Moyes has done an absolutely incredible job at West Ham this season. I know what you're um, going to say. Don't say it. I'm going to go with Marcelo Bielsa. I knew you were going to say I, it. I was also going to mention Bielsa, and I think that he deserves so much credit because he gets so much stick, in a yeah. sense. I'll let you go first, Harry, but, but I do have something to say on, on Bielsa as well. I'm, I'm going to go with Marcelo Bielsa for the following reasons. So, first of all, I'm a huge admirer of the way his teams play football. I'm a huge admirer of the fact that he brought Leeds up from the championship. I'm a huge admirer of the fact that he sticks to his principles. He really believes in his way of playing. And he 
you know, he doesn't like to veer away from that. I think that whilst Leeds have done some decent business um, since they got promoted to the Premier League in terms of transfers, ultimately the majority of that squad for me is still a championship side, yet they're punching well above their level. But the, the real reason and the main reason I've gone with Marcelo Bielsa is because when they first come into the Premier League, everybody was talking about, oh, you know, their football's really entertaining. But they go and concede two, three goals a game. And, that, you know, that's just not good enough. And, and they're going to get found out and they're going to keep getting torn apart. And they can't go into shootouts every single weekend and, and come away with, with the points. But in the second half of the season, Marcelo Bielsa's side have improved so much defensively. And they're, I think they're unbeaten in eleven. Um, at the back end of the campaign. they fit, Not only have they finished in the top half, but I think what he's done particularly well is acknowledge that his way of playing was, was good in so many ways, but also left them vulnerable in others and actually did quite well, in my opinion, to recognise that, to put a bit of a plug in it and to still allow Leeds to express themselves and play in the way that they wish to play and, and use all of their strengths. But equally, he's made them a much more stubborn outfit as well in the second half of the season. So that mid-season adaptation that has allowed Leeds to maintain the sort of, uh, you know, the momentum that they started the season with, I think is is really undervalued. And I want to give Marcelo Bielsa credit for that. Uh, Harry, I'll bring you in because I know you wanted to, to say something about him as well. Yeah, I think the, the the beautiful thing about Bielsa is that it was always said, yeah, as you mentioned, he had to change his ways because they're going to get found out. Why does he have to change his ways? Because because that's just the way that people like to, that that people like the the newly promoted teams to play, or or the bottom half, the predicted bottom half of the team table teams to play. You know, it was lovely to watch him. And I say this as a someone who reports and, and supports Newcastle, it was quite nice to see him hand. You know, Sam Allardyce, Steve Bruce, Sean Dyche, their asses on the plate with massive wins. You know, it, it was it was nice to be able to say, and, and while also winning at Man City, the idea that you need to go and defend at Man City like Burnley do, you know, that, is that Burnley who've conceded five on three of the last four visits? Is that against Bielsa who, who won 2-1 at the end? Yeah. So there's just so much, there's so little. The, the reason why I wanted to give Bielsa credit is because all of the arguments, all of the, the the discourse around him, as is so often the case with 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 people and with pundits and and people in in, in these positions who, who who do these shows and things, it's just hot air that doesn't actually stand up if you take if you take the the microscope to it, if you look at it in detail you can you can deconstruct any argument against Bielsa and. You know, and in a sense, not not for manager of the year, but a little mention. You know, Graham Potter is a sense, in a sense, the same thing. It's like people say, is Graham Potter does it, does he deserve any, a better? You know, has he done better than Chris Hewton? Effectively, he has because he's done. And I love Chris Hewton because of what he did at Newcastle. But effectively, he's taken that team and not relegated it, which is what everyone said he that would happen, and has happened in the past when teams have tried to change their style. He's not relegated it, and they're better to watch. Isn't that success? And it's like this whole idea that this whole idea, and and yet people said that Sam Allardyce was guaranteed to save West Brom, and it didn't happen. It's this whole sort of, it's just a victory for people who are brave with their football style. I mean, Bielsa is beyond brave, and 
it's almost cult-like in a, in a good sense what Leeds do. I mean, they were top of all these running stats and stuff and they're bottom of the, they've used the least players and stuff, that sort of thing. He's built these, he's improved the fitness and the mentality of these players as well. And yeah, he's incredible. Yeah, um, he it, is. Just, it just frustrates me that, that there's, there's such this this narrative that is lazy and it just needs this, this debunking, but it never gets debunked. Absolutely. Absolutely. DDO, I saw you uh, sort of, I saw your brain ticking away there as I was talking about Bielsa, because I know, and this is not to have a go, but I know you've been one of the people that wasn't quite convinced about Leeds at the start of the season. No, no, I wasn't. They've done far better than I thought they would. I thought their style wouldn't work. I thought they'd let in too many goals and it hasn't. So I was wrong about that. So you can put that in a collector's as a collector's item. Um, <laughs> but that's not the point. Um, the only reason my brain was ticking and Harry, Harry De Cosmo mentioned there about narrative. If you look at Bielsa and you look at Moyes and you're comparing just those two managers alone, the narrative around Moyes means a lot of people wouldn't even consider him in that category because he's not a crazy Argentinian and doesn't look like he could, you know, smash up a changing room if he was one nil down. And, and the reality is West Ham have scored the same amount of goals as Leeds. And I look at it and I think, yeah, Bielsa, you've done, he's done a good job. He's done a great job. Tip of the cap. Brilliant. But why does he, why, why does Moyes, why does Moyes escape credit this season? Uh, he's not really. I'll tell you why. I, I'll, t- I'll tell you why though. I've, so I've commentated on a few West Ham games this season and they've always been games against the big six, if you like. And the difference is that Moyes, yes, his team have been a lot more expansive going forward than they have been in years gone by and they have scored a lot of goals. But Moyes is still a bit, and I don't want to use this term because it sounds like I'm being derogatory, but Moyes is still a bit of a coward when it comes to going to Arsenal, going to Chelsea, going to Manchester City, going to Liverpool, all those teams going to him. You know, I think he's still in that mindset of I've got to keep it, whereas Bielsa just doesn't give a shit who he's playing against. And and that's kind of the difference between the two. But you're right, you know, that there is a narrative around both of them that obviously does uh, does play a part in people's views. Uh, let's let's move on so we can kind of make sure that we get through all of this tonight. Um, DDO, I'll come back to you. Overachievers uh, this season, and I'm sure that some of these are going to be linked to the manager of the season ones. But um, who are your overachievers in terms of uh, in yeah. terms of a club? Yeah. So really, really quickly, just West Ham for for the same reasons. Yeah, I thought that would be the case, Harry. I'm assuming yours is. Along the yeah, same lines, I put West Ham, um, but uh, I kind of feel like I could fit Newcastle into both under and overachievers in a weird way. Um, I, I mean, I think Steve Bruce has done. Uh, you know, we've talked off air about it. Steve Bruce has deserved credit for what he's got out of the team in the last few in the last few results, and and that was a run that people thought Newcastle were going to struggle with after the Brighton game. When they lost 3-0 at the end of March, people looked at Leicester away and Man City and Liverpool and I think I think West Ham was in that run as well. I might be wrong. Um and he got results out of that out of that run, so he deserves credit for that, but he also deserves criticism for the bit where, as I mentioned, I alluded to when I was talking about West Ham earlier, that narrative, Newcastle came into the season expecting maybe to 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 get close to the top ten, and that suddenly changed unchallenged by, you know, Bruce changed it himself and it was unchallenged that suddenly having talked about the top 10 in the start of the the season, 
he was he was suddenly in in in, ja- in January saying, "Well, my remit's to keep the club up," and 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 that was that change that the that the there was a change in his in in his it was a defence mechanism almost, and it was unchallenged. So actually, he should have Newcastle have, have ended in the it ended where their spending has probably allowed them to be, but they both overachieved to to leap from where they were. I mean, they were a point above Fulham two months ago, and now they are. Um, now they finished 17 points. I, mean, I, I, I hope I get a chance to sort of break this weird season down because, as I mentioned, I did a thread on it earlier. But um, you know, two months ago they was they was they were a point above Fulham. Now they're 17 points above Fulham. So in that sense, he's overachieved, but he massively underachieved in uh, in in um, in the winter and and deserves and deserves equally deserves criticism for that which he didn't get as as much as I, I would like and he deserves credit which he seems to be getting a lot and, and so and so pointing. where are you putting them where are you putting them overachievers or underachievers I would say I, I would say well I, actually I've got them down as neither but I really wanted to um, but but I would I would say overachievers in the end if I was I would put them in this one okay uh, but uh, are you so you're going to leave West Ham in there okay. Uh, Dan, you went with West Ham. I'm going to go with overachievers. I'm going to go with West Ham United as well. I think it's impossible to get away from what they've done in the Premier League. And, you know, the reason I it's not the same as my manager one is because I, I thought that West Ham had the squad to do it, but I didn't think they would really do it. I didn't think Leeds had the squad um, to, to get up I where they got. Leeds to be in the top 10, if I'm honest, or around that middle area. I kind I of genuinely believe. I, I kind of, in my head, I, I kind of wanted to believe that. But after I saw the way, like Dan said, that they were leaking goals constantly at the start of the campaign, I started to worry for them that if things weren't going their way every week, they could end up being, you know, in a, in a really bad space. Let's go over to the live comments quickly uh, and see what you guys are saying with regards uh, to this. Um, lots of people saying uh, West Ham United. Um Lots of that. Alex has broken it down into players, clubs. He's gone West Ham, Leeds, Patrick Bamford. Yeah, it is indeed. Um, Underachievers have got to be Daniel Levy, apparently. Uh, (laughs) We'll we'll move on to the underachievers now. I'm going to start off with the underachievers and I'm going to go with Everton. Uh, We were talking about this a little bit earlier on DDL. Carlo Ancelotti has gotten away with absolute murder here because Everton had no European football to worry about. When you compare, and I'm not saying they were without injuries, everybody's had difficulties this season when it comes to keeping players fit due to the the tight schedule. But to not have European football, to probably have significantly less injuries than those teams that, a lot of those teams that you're competing with, I think that Everton have had a desperately bad season. I know this is an Arsenal show, and I know there are going to be a lot of people in the chat that say Arsenal should go in this category. And I agree. The reason I haven't put Arsenal in is because Arsenal had that European distraction. Arsenal have got more points than they achieved last season. It's not an excuse for for what's gone on this year at the club. But when I look at Everton and I look at how much noise there was, from, including myself, from people saying, why didn't we get Carlo Ancelotti? Why have we allowed this guy to go and join Everton? To now look at where he's taken them to, you have to say it's a massive underachievement. DDL, uh, do you agree with me, first of all, on the Everton thing? And then where would you go with this one? I, I, I agree with you in that Everton have hugely underachieved and Everton were very, very nearly my selection as well. 
Um, my selection, unfortunately, is Arsenal Football Club. Um, and the reason I've gone, the reason I've gone for Arsenal, is because I know all the listeners are probably still crossing me after my last appearance on the show. So I thought I'd just, I'd just play on that for a little bit. The reason I've gone for Arsenal instead of instead of Everton and instead of instead of Tottenham is Arsenal came into the season off the back of an FA Cup win. There were signings in the summer that the fans were quite excited about, like like Gabriel, who's 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 done reasonably well. Fans were excited about Willian. That did soon dissipate very, very quickly. Um, <clears throat> fans were excited about Thomas Partey. Um, that disappeared very quickly as well. And I think with Arsenal this season, I mean, to finish eighth for the second season in a row after 18 months at the club is absolutely horrendous, um, to be fair. It's horrendous. And I think the difference between Arsenal and Everton and even Tottenham all three have had equally poor seasons um, in slightly different ways. But for Arsenal, I, I don't feel there's been a single moment or period of excitement whatsoever. I mean, like Spurs were top in November for a bit. There was a little bit of time to get excited, which soon got ruined. Everton had a really good start. They they got a big result at Anfield. You know, they had a little bit of excitement. In terms of the season, Arsenal this season haven't... I'm not going to overdo this because of, because of the listenership and I don't want to take the piss. But Arsenal have had nothing this season whatsoever to get excited about 24 24 goals at home is appalling picking Willian for seven months and I, I don't understand it and finishing eighth I think of your Arsenal football club is unacceptable I think last season there was an excuse this season I don't think there is one yeah you know what you, you, you're kind of talking me into feeling like I should be changing my uh my pick here uh, Harry let's let's have your thoughts on this yeah, I mean, Arsenal are a good call, obviously, um, but I won't stick the knife in any further. Um, That's why I, I like every- you, Harry. I've always liked you, man. <laughs> Everton, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's difficult to uh, to to stand where I where I do from the bottom, you know, well, twelfth in the league, but mainly sitting in 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 the mire for most of the season, looking at Arsenal and going, yeah, you know, that that that's a crisis, you know, <laughs> but. Um, but I think Everton is what I've put as well. Also, I would kind of, I, I would kind of like to. I mean, the thing that annoys me about, about Everton is that well, it was a match of the day, and uh, after the game they lost five nil. It was Ancelotti's worst, you know. And all the reasons you mentioned as well, Harry, about you know, and the signings they made. James Rodriguez was so exciting. Decore, Alan, their, their midfield was apparently perfect, and then it was it was going to be set up for uh, Calvert Lewin to be the the be the main man, the main striker to score all the goals to fire them into Europe didn't didn't happen. They were abysmal at home against teams that they should have been beaten. They lost to Fulham, Newcastle, I think even West Brom, I might be wrong, Sheffield United obviously recently as well. So they 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 were battered. They were often beaten, you know, badly at home as well. But I I, I do and but the thing that annoys me most about Everton is that on much of the day, after the five nil defeat, they they all that was said was Oh, it's the ten points better off its progress, but really, in the context, it isn't really progress. Obviously, they finished tenth, but also Chelsea as well. I mean, people talk about Tuchel, and the narrative is correctly because it's it's almost split into two. But if you look at Chelsea as a whole overall thing, it deserves it deserves a mention for being the only team to spend anywhere near the amount that they did in two hundred and what twenty seven two hundred and thirty million. And not to not to lay a glove on the title. That's that's that deserves a mention. I'm not saying that my pick is is Everton, but I think Chelsea deserve deserve a mention as well because you can't spend that much money 
uh, and not lay a glove on the title, especially when everybody else did. And also, all the other clubs, Liverpool had their issues. Man United, are, I think Man United will, will find it tougher next season. 74 points they got. That's a top four sort of tally, and they somehow squeezed into second. So this was a chance for Chelsea, and they, they didn't take it. So they deserve a mention, but Everton, for me, are, are the team to, to, to put in there. That's a, that's a really valid Chelsea point, it, I think. Yeah, it is. And one that a lot of people will have probably glossed over. Um, because, so, yeah. it's, because, it's, because the narrative is that Tuchel has picked them up from where Lampard dropped them. But if you look at Chelsea as a as a whole, then you've got yeah. to then you've got to say you know people forget the money. And also Lampard got the got the uh, got the sort of the treatment that we alluded to off air or earlier uh, that you know we we that he didn't get the criticism that he deserved. Um, because he only got, or he got deflect, deflect. He was able to deflect because of the transfer ban, and then you know how well he did last season when he technically did worse than Mauricio Sarri. So, yeah, yeah. Chelsea, Chelsea have underachieved massively considering that the amount they spent and the fact that everybody else was having trouble and didn't and wasn't spending the money that they, that they did. Yep, agreed. Uh, let's move on, uh, Dan. Let's have your Premier League signing of the season. Here we go, then. So I have. Picked. I've picked Ollie Watkins. I've picked Ollie Watkins. Um, I've picked Ollie Watkins for a couple of reasons. Um, one is the transformation of Aston Villa. Um, two is strikers don't always hit the ground running at new clubs anyway, as we've seen. Actually, in terms of Oliver Watkins, and this is the point I'm going to make here, too often um, when you support clubs who finish like sixth, seventh, and eighth, from whatever, you come up with these good ideas of players in the Championship who were the who you should go for and buy. Um, and then you look at players like Ben Rama um, as one example. Um, and there's another example from last season as well. Who's, there's names completely escaping me for a minute who's come up from the championship. And actually, oh, that's it. Um, Eze, who, who signed for Crystal Palace. The gulf in quality between the championship and the Premier League is massive. Absolutely massive. And it's flop after flop, season after season, when these players make a make the step and, and they sign for a club, you know, I think Ben Rama scored one goal. Eze has done next to little. Um, Ollie Watkins has come in and he's he's slotted right in there. He's taken it by storm. Um, if Bamford had signed for Leeds this season, you'd be having a similar conversation. Okay, he hasn't, but that that's the sort of level. And Bamford is getting a lot more credit for whatever reason, and that's fine. I've got no issue with that. But Ollie Watkins as a signing. Um, has been the difference between Aston Villa being in a relegation battle or not. And I did consider um, Emmy Martinez um, as well. But I think Ollie Watkins ultimately has, um, has made has made a huge difference to Aston Villa. And to make that step from the championship straight away. Um, and goals against goals against big teams as well. You know, he's, he's, we've not been stat padding against um, against Sheffield United. You know, he's, he's he's slotted right in there. And I think he's been a he's been a fantastic signing for Aston Villa. He has indeed. He's got 14 goals in the Premier League, uh, which is a pretty decent return. Five um, assists as well. Uh, a couple of people in the chat saying Martinez. Uh, lots of you pointing back to Ruben Diaz again. Uh, I'll get mine out of the way. Mine is Ruben Diaz because of the, the individual impact that he's had on, on securing Manchester City as a defensive outfit, which is traditionally something that Pep Guardiola hasn't really been able to do for all his millions. Uh, Harry... 
who's yours. I've got a feeling you're going to go along the same. No, actually, you're not. I know exactly who you're going to go for. It almost you slipped my mind. You know exactly who I'm going to go but for. But I know exactly who you're going to go for. I'm go in on. a safe space here when I say this. And you're not having him back. He's, he's staying. <laughs> it's Joe Willock. He's been remarkable. Um, uh, we didn't, I didn't expect him to be that good. Like, I knew he would improve us um, because of a because of his style rather than his quality as well as well as his quality um the way he the way he, he he gets into the box and the way he just makes the midfield more energetic which is a massive problem during that sort of november december sort of part of the season i was i was alluding to that was a real problem for newcastle he came in instantly changed that and people forget his goal against southampton because everyone's talking about 7 and 7 the youngest player in the Premier League's history to do that. Uh, only Alan Shearer has ever done that for Newcastle before in 1996. So you're talking about like breaking records and and like a real massive massive impact. Um, and he's very you know he, he Newcastle fans we we always say and people should always heed this advice never never fall in love with a loan product the loan the loan sign never do it. But it, it instantly it was it, it yeah it's. Got to the point where, you know, fans are, uh, are literally mocking up. There's someone mocked up a picture of Jackie Milburn's statue, and they put Joe Willock's head on it. Um, <laughs> and then somebody put uh, someone in the club, sorry, Mark Gillespie, who's the third choice keeper, put a picture of Alan Shearer's head and mocked um, Joe Willock's head on it. I mean, it's tongue in cheek, but really, I mean, the guy is, is we, we've really taken to him, and you won't seen the the Instagram things that the club have given him. After a big goal, which was most weeks, they would give him the Instagram feed for a little short video, and he would he, he coined this phrase "Come on, you Maggies," which re, was Newcastle the Magpies have never been called the Maggies in their lives, and it would anybody else who said that would be chastised and probably chased out of out of Tyneside for saying that, but we let him do it because he was doing the business. And Newcastle fans are, are, are desperate to see him sign. I don't think he'll sign, but not because Arsenal won't sell him necessarily not because he won't want to join, because I think he's really enjoyed it. I just don't think Newcastle will do enough because um, his value, I think we we talked and I've texted you so many times over the last few months and said, you're not having him back. And you said 15 million and then you've said 20 million. I think 20 to 25 is probably what Arsenal will want from him now for him now this season. Uh, now there's some, if they want to sell him at all, and there'll be one, there'll be other other clubs interested because that why wouldn't there be? Because as, as I say, his his... His impact has literally been historic. He's now in the Premier League history books as the youngest player to, to to do what he's done. As I've said, he would be Chelsea's top scorer this season if he was, and he's played six months. I mean, the impact is is, is crazy. And I said, I thought to myself when he arrived, this is an annoying sign. Not signing, not because he's not a good player, and not because he won't improve Newcastle, but we won't get him back. It'll just go back after six months, and it'll be thanks. But instantly, it was so. It, Newcastle fans need this deal now because if it doesn't happen. The momentum will sap out of the club that that he's brought, and I think I don't know whether you and your listeners know what know how much he's impacted Newcastle, but really, yeah, I mean, the, 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 I, I have I did put Diaz. I said Diaz, but mentioned Willock, but screw it, but putting Willock in there because <laughs> because the impact's been that good, and um and yeah, I just I, Newcastle fans will be devastated if 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 and when he leaves because obviously he's just put his goodbye on Instagram. I hope if he goes back to Arsenal, he plays or he or he goes or he gets a chance or, you know, because he deserves he deserves an, an improvement on what he's got, on what on what uh, he, he has existing at Arsenal, which is 
you know, I don't I don't think Arteta fancies him at all in January. I don't know whether that's changed, but he he deserves some he deserves some credit for this. I mean, six months it's a crazy crazy impact, and yeah, there's no there's no doubt in my mind that will it will it go in there. Willett goes in there as Harry DeCosimo's signing of the season. A few honourable mentions that are being brought up in the chat. One in particular that I cannot ignore is Thomas Suchek. That is a shout as well. Yeah, that's a really good uh, shout for, yeah, for signing I, the season. I, I left him out just I left him out of my thinking just because he was on loan um for half of last season. So I thought that was cheating. But yeah. su- su- superb. Really, yeah, he, really good. And and as well, to be fair. Um <clears throat> Another one, but yeah. but yeah, I mean yeah, but, but I've gone a little bit emotional there because I'm quite sad that Willock's not going to stay. But. So so just to give a bit of an update on Willock from an Arsenal perspective, and I'll just keep this brief so we we can move on. But Mikel Arteta spoke at the back end of of last week and said that he's planning to bring Joe Willock back and that he has a role to play at Arsenal going forward next season. However, I would argue that everybody barring probably five players at the Emirates Stadium, would be for sale this summer if the price was right. And I think that if an actual concrete offer of 20 to £25 million was actually brought to the table, and I'm not talking about £5 million now and £5 million next season and £5 million a season after that, if an actual concrete all-in-one bid of around about 20 to 25 million pounds was put on the table, I am almost certain that Arsenal would sell because I think that Mikel Arteta likes Joe Willock, but I don't think he feels he brings enough guile necessarily to Arsenal because what you've got to realise, and I don't mean this disrespectfully to Newcastle, what Joe Willock is really good at is, is arriving in the penalty area late or picking up the ball from a deeper position and driving forward and exposing mm. spaces. He's incredibly energetic and has a really good instinct about getting into the right positions. I've always said that about Joe Willock. Where he lacks is, and in Arsenal's case, this is the case pretty much most of the season, is that we're playing against a back five with a, a num- with a four-man midfield in front of it. And a lot of our home games turn out to be Arsenal keeping the ball and trying to pick the lock of a defence. And I don't think Joe Willock has got the vision or the guile, if you like, that somebody like Emil Smith-Rowe or a Martin Odegaard has. It's not to knock Willock as a player, it's just a different type of player. And I don't think he fits with what we're really doing. So that's why I think they'll sell. I think I really hope that you sell and I really hope you sell to Newcastle. But the thing is, I just, I think, as I mentioned, I think Newcastle... Mike Ashley is the kind of person you'll say twenty to twenty-five. He'll come with a ten million pound bid if that eight million. He won't do it, and it'll take. And it's it's got that sort of. And I, you know, I think people probably in the comment section are probably laughing at me and saying, "What, what an idiot he's getting so so he's so passionate about a, a player that we don't really care about, or whatever." But actually, I mean, the the impact he's had because not just but he's kept he's kept he's kept you up. He's kept you up basically. He's kept yeah, he's you up and. And the it, and people forget the goal against Southampton. It was instant. People say, "Oh, the last seven games," and he did have difficult spells as well. But really, I mean, it was it was instant. I mean, Newcastle haven't had a midfielder breaking to what since Wijnaldum in the year that they got relegated when he scored eleven goals. And he and Willock has effectively just replaced him and done the same job. And that's what I, I agree with you, Harry, completely. But Newcastle aren't sitting against teams sitting back. They are 
inviting exactly. pressure and, and that's why he suits you. That's he why suits he suits Newcastle perfectly. But I, but my other fear is that he'll suit he'd suit a you know a, a Southampton who might pay the money or a West Ham who might pay the money or whoever who might someone else who might pay the money. You're in that same sort of anywhere between you know eighth and fourteenth, whatever in the league. Who there'll be a lot of clubs after him, and it'll and Arsenal can get a bidding war going, and that's the worst thing that can happen for Newcastle because yeah. they won't get involved in that. Of so, course. so um, yeah, yeah, it's a... cool, good stuff. Um, let's uh, just quickly remind you guys that if you haven't done so already, make sure you hit a like on the stream, it really, really does help. If you're watching via YouTube, if you're listening on the audio platforms, then please do leave us a review. Uh, let's move on, Dan. Let's let's go to you first on this one. Worst signing of the season, yeah. who is yeah. your worst Premier League so, signing of the season? The, the next two categories could easily be the same person, but I have. I have two different ones after some deliberation. So I know I'm not going to go with. Well, <laughs> not, I, well, no, that that'll be that'll be in the next category. I'll save that one. All right. But the worst, uh, the worst signing of the season. In fact, the worst signing in Premier League history, bar none. Okay, twenty million English pounds exchanged hands for Sheffield United to bring Rian Brewster to the club. <laughs> if you look at the screen now a list of all the goals he scored are going to flash up is none zero goals zero goals for 20 million english pounds to a club bruce is a really good example of what you were saying ddl about about the levels levels Levels. he's a really good example but um because i didn't i I thought he'd be better than that 20 Um, million english pounds to a team who have got fuck all budget he scored no goals. They had one point after like 12 games and they've gone down because they spent their money on Rianne Brewster. That's the 40, brutal reality of it. million English pounds went on Joel Linton two years ago. I'd say that's the worst sign in Premier League history. Yeah, I think yeah. He, only scores, he, he only scores against Tottenham, that fucker. But that's, <laughs> that's, that's, not, that's, not, that's not the point. I mean, how can you be a striker who has played at any level, any age group in international football and contribute zero goals? to a Premier League season. That's the worst signing of the season. And Sheffield United, if they spent five million on four players, they would not have gone down in the manner that they did. Yeah. Horrendous. Wilder, he didn't suit Wilder, and I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know this, but I wouldn't be surprised if he that was a contributing factor to, to why he left Wilder, because he just didn't fit the system at all. I watched a lot of Sheffield United last season, covered them, and... They were. They just weren't a brutal but, side. So I, I can completely understand. I put this in context. I get so top we, level systems, tactics. I understand that, and things aren't suited. And if you're a striker and you don't score for a few games, it gets harder and harder. But I am confident. If I played 28 games for Sheffield United this season, I'd have scored one goal. <laughs> um, you know what? I'm going to make this easy in the, in the interest of time. I, I'm. I sat there and I you know the first name that came to my head was was Willian obviously being an Arsenal fan but then I Rian Brewster came into my mind as well and when you put into context the amount that they paid for Rian Brewster and you you, you know as bad as Willian has been as a signing Arsenal didn't pay anything for him it was a free transfer yes there are wages involved etc cetera, etc cetera. but in the context of Arsenal's finances in comparison to Sheffield United's you cannot get away, in my opinion, from Rian Brewster as being an absolutely horrendous signing. <laughs> it's hilariously it's, horrendous. It's, it's so bad. It like, 
you you can't get and and then you know what the worst thing about it was during the course of the season right when um arsenal fans sort of realized that our season was was going down the toilet and we were kind of like looking ahead to the summer and and i was saying yeah these are the players that we need to move on and one of them is eddie and ketia and if we get 10 million for eddie and ketia if we got 8 million for eddie and ketia i would take it and there were arsenal fans coming back at me going but rian brewster went for 20 plus million pounds and i was like just because Sheffield United made the worst decision in history, it, it doesn't yeah. mean that somebody else Again, is going to be so into, naive and that. stupid. Yeah, well, you yeah. cast are in that category as well. But just because someone was once upon a time stupid enough to do that, it doesn't mean that we are going to be able to offload Eddie Nketiah for that kind of money. Uh, but Harry, let me come to you on uh, on your worst signing of the season. So, so I... I did have. Well, I said I said William, and I, he was on my list. I also want to give a again an honourable mention to Van der Beek, um, but it's not really his fault. He just hasn't got for some reason he hasn't played. I, I don't know why. I think he would have. I think he actually would have improved. Man United midfield at times this season, but you know, thirty-five and, and thirty-five million is actually a, a good a good deal when you consider the impact he had on the Ajax team and the amount that the other players who left it went for 35, 40 million good value. You know, you would think I, I was quite excited for, for him. So so I would I just want to say that as well. But but William, because it didn't make sense at the time. Obviously I don't know if you remember well you will remember how that there was all that time they've signed William but they've got 55 players they're making redundancies left, right and centre and all this stuff. Ignoring that for a second. But the whole point of the William signing was, you know, we've got this guy from Chelsea. He's going to make a massive difference. I know they didn't pay, a, a, you know, he's going to, the hope was he was going to make this difference and he just didn't. And every time I've watched him, he slowed Arsenal down. Um, he doesn't have that energy of, of Smith Rowe and Saka, for example, who, who, and the thing about Arsenal is that their best, their best players this season have been the young players. And when you consider that they, I know that they didn't spend any money, but the, the money that they've paid William and now they're talking about selling him to MLS. I think for me that that would be my my worst sign because there weren't that many massive signings in the league that se- that last summer anyway. In comparison to what they usually would be, so I think you can look at somebody like William with a little bit more. I think you know, a little bit more. Um, I think the case for William, yeah. the case for William becomes stronger when you look at Pepe's form in the last eight games. And instead of playing yeah. Pepe in that position for most of the early part of the season when struggling, you've wasted a position on Willian. That's where the case for Willian becomes stronger. Mm. I agree with you. You know, it was worth a punt. There were other clubs in for him. It was no money. He'd had a reasonable season at Chelsea. There was no reason why it wouldn't work, but it just didn't for whatever reason. Um, but a case gets... Because Pepe, you would have said last season was one of the worst signings or flops or whatever. Last season. With... Um, but with Pepe, though, DDL, when you look at Pepe's outputs, he's not even a bad player. It's just that people need to get the whole he's cost £72 million thing out of their head. Yeah. You need to stop yeah. judging him as a £72 million player. But you make a really valid point about this idea that in Mikel Arteta's head that Willian was the man to persist with at the start of the season. Because Willian, when, when I came on this very podcast and I spoke about why I was actually in favour of the Willian signing... At the time, obviously, it's been proved to, to have been a mistake. But my justification was we have, if you look at our wide positions, 
So not including, you know, Aubameyang, who's played there quite a bit this season, because for me, he's a centre forward. But when you looked at some of the options we had, we had Bukayo Saka, 19 years old, Gabriel Martinelli, 19 years old, Reese Nelson threatening to break through, um, you know, Nicola Pepe, who hadn't really quite hit it off yet. And my thought process was, Willian is is proven. He's a seasoned pro. He's someone who's done it at the highest level in that position. So if Willian is in and around the squad, even if only to help develop some of these players and to be able to come off the bench for 20, 25 minutes in certain games to add to your ability from set pieces and to, to give you a bit of an edge sometimes when you need to push over the line, then it feels like a sensible signing. But I, like everybody else, was absolutely baffled by the fact that he was picked every single week uh, and it, it just it was just completely wrong just completely wrong uh, a few people have mentioned a couple of other players in the chat and before we move on i'll just quickly get brief answers from each of you just conscious of time uh on on a couple of names that are in the chat i'll come to you ddo on this one matt doherty is a name that's oh, been put in there. fucking hell yeah absolutely horrendous, <laughs> absolutely absolutely horrendous. there you go the game against the game against arsenal which we lost at the Emirates. I know Michael Oliver was heavily involved, but we deserve to lose. I would have preferred a traffic cone at right back. <laughs> and that's and, uh, just, just how I feel. Yeah, I, I thought that would be the case. And I'll come to you, Harry, just briefly on this one before we move on. Uh, a lot of people talking about Kai Havertz in there. Yeah, he was another one on my uh, on my list. And there's a reason I didn't go for him, which I'll keep quiet because we were about to go on to it. Um, but... Uh, yeah, he's not been. I mean, he, he's improved a little bit later in the season, but no, I mean, the money that they spent for him again is another good call. Uh, I know that I just want to also point out that I'll not have any anti Eze chat from DDL because I really like him, I think he's good, <laughs> I think he's a really good player, and I'm and I'm I think he deserves you know, he he, he the, the, the team he plays in. Palace and he's expected to do these things and I think he, I think he's made a poor choice going to Palace if anything but I think he's a very good player but that's by the by um, no Havertz is a is a good call I'll um just so we'll we'll stick with Harry to move on um for the 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 biggest flop because I think I know what he's going to say yeah uh, but just quickly on Eze he's one of those players for me that is really aesthetically pleasing like he controls the ball brilliantly he glides past people with ease. He's got all the tricks in the book, but he, for me, he needs to turn that into product a little bit more. I think he could do um, that on a different team to Parsons. Don't think Parsons set up for him because he's aesthetically because he turn because he changes the pace of the game and and all this and that. And Palace are all about getting the ball forward quickly. Yeah, um, well, there's going to be a change of management there, so maybe that will suit yeah. him. We'll, we'll soon find. But he's out. also very, he's also injured for a few months now with a yeah. police problem. Absolutely right. Uh, come on then, let's move on to your biggest flop, Harry. I, I know what you're going to say here. So what's the reasons that you've yeah, gone it's, for Kai Havertz? It's, it's because he was, again, a, a talk about transformative players and him and Werner. Werner's another good call, but um, I think Havertz takes it because he was more expensive. He was a bigger... I think I think Werner was... It, it's funny how everyone says, oh, Werner's not a striker anymore. When he came, Werner was had scored... 30 goals or 28 goals or something for Leipzig. He was meant to be a number nine and failed. Um, but Havertz was supposed to be the player that hit the ground. And he was another player that was supposed to replace Hazard. It was kind of supposed to be a mix and match between him and Pulisic to replace Hazard. Just hasn't, just didn't happen at the start. Maybe it'll happen 
it's why it's a little bit harsh and possibly why I took him out of worst signing was because he started to show a little bit towards the end of the season and maybe again he can yeah next season under Tuchel he could he could improve again but at the start of the season I was really excited for for uh, for Havertz and he just didn't he just looked off the pace he he just looked he just looked a lot he he just looked like a lanky player like he is but he he just looked slow and it just he had none of that sort of the sort of thing that I'd seen him do for for like for Leverkusen and for seventy five million you can't really afford to be taking that time and yeah, yeah I think that's a, that's why I've gone for him. Great points. Uh, DDL, uh, let's yeah. have yours, mate. Okay, so I'm going to just talk about Timo Werner quickly, okay, who's been the biggest flop. The reason I'm not putting him in this category as my selection is because on the preseason podcast, I did say uninvited that he would be a flop this season. I said he'd be he'd be my um, player to flop. And um, no one believed me when I told him he was absolute dog shit. And um, so it's proven. Also... On the same pod, I did correctly pr- pick the top four in order, first, second, third, and fourth. So if you want to listen back to that, anyone, it's on Spotify, DDL, hashtag. Um, so Modest is Ver- DDL, by the way. Imagine coming on a pod with no reason whatsoever and saying Liverpool will finish third or below and being right about it. Incredible. So Timo Werner, the reason Timo Werner is not going to be the biggest flop today is because I think a new signing to a new league before... I call you a flop and not the worst signing. I, I think you need a second season to to prove to by that point you're a flop. Yeah. If you come to a league, you don't settle. After two seasons, you're a flop. So that brings me to my answer. And my answer is Tangai Ndombele of Tottenham, who is absolutely horrendous. He is horrendous. I, I'm not interested in all this. I'm strong. I can hold the ball. I can. I look good in a beanie hat. I'm not interested. Okay. There's there's two key points I'm gonna pick. But he doesn't have a position. If he plays at number ten, he's not creative enough. He can't split defenses with a pass any more than once every three games. He can't break into the box. He doesn't score. He's not fast. He can't dribble. He can't head. You play him in defensive midfield. He can't tackle. He can't track back. He can't break up the play. And you see him trying to hide behind other players. And then there's a theme. He was. Jose Mourinho picked in this season, and that was ultimately our downfall um, in a lot of ways. Um, and there was a theme where you'd see him, and he'd do very little, barely break into a sweat for 65 minutes. Then he'd get subbed off at about 66 minutes, and you'd see him jogging straight off to McDonald's. And he's an absolute shambles of a footballer. And the, the final point was when we lost the Leeds last week, he was a sub. He came on after about 80 minutes. And you're thinking, fresh legs. You know, we're getting overrun. We're 2-1 down could maybe get back into the game. Leeds scored the third goal, okay? He was tracking back, and he got overtaken when tracking back by Michael Oliver. (laughs) Right? He got... Go and find the goal. Go and find the goal. He was tracking back, fresh legs. Leeds have probably been running a run about 20 kilometers each by this point, so they should be slowing down. And he he got overtaken tracking back by Michael Oliver. He's a terrible sign in. He's Tottenham's record signing, two seasons in. He is the biggest flop this season, bar none. Awful. I hope I hope someone, he's a luxury player that we can't afford, and I hope a big European club finds a spot for him. Um, and if he would fit in my car, I'd drive him there myself. Fat, lazy <laughs> mess of a footballer. 
DDL, DDL going in hard on Tange and Dombele there. Uh, so he is DDL's flop of the season. My flop of the season is not a player. Um, my flop of the season, and it uh, kind of pains me to say this because I quite like him, is, is Ralph Hasenhutl. There has been so much hype over the last couple of seasons about Ralph Hasenhutl. His team have been spanked by nine twice uh, since he's taken over at Southampton, which is never acceptable for me. But even putting that aside, because they are one-off games and, and, and shit like that can happen. Putting that to one side, though, this Southampton team are constantly being praised for, you know, Ralph Hasenhutl's innovative methods, the energy with which his teams are supposed to play. They have finished 15th in the Premier League. 15th. That is terrible. It is shocking. And, you know, it could have been a lot worse. A couple of weeks ago, they were even lower in the table. So it could have been, you know, really bad for Southampton. They were never in danger, fortunately, for themselves because Fulham, West Brom and Sheffield United were all terrible. But I just, I don't really, at the beginning, I liked Hasenhutl. And now I'm starting to wonder what it is that's so good about him. Because for me, Southampton in 15th place is not acceptable when you look at that group of players and what they have at their disposal. So I'm going with Ralph Hasenhutl. Um, I don't know if any of you feel like I'm being a little bit harsh there on him. but Can I, can I interject no, I a little bit and say, and say that, like, I have similar feelings. Well, I agree. I know what you mean, but, like, I'm, go I'm just going to say something about Scott Parker. Like, I, I mean, I can't – I don't think I've ever seen someone else put a cardigan on and instantly get linked with Spurs because he's got a cardigan <laughs> on. Like – it really feels like that. It feels like he's like, have you, I don't know if either of you listened to the football cliches podcast on the athletic. They literally played a clip of him talking, to, answering a question on, uh, on a thing. I think this is how I feel about Scott Park. Exactly. How you feel about Hasn't who they, they played a clip of him answering a question and he was just, and it was, it was like, like you, when you focus on it, you, you can see it more clearly. Like it's like the, the mirror breaks. It's like the, or the, the glass breaks, the shatter of the glass. It, like you can, the, the perception goes. Um, and he was just talking in cliches, literally just like, or saying empty words. And it's like, the reason, why is he being linked with, uh, with, you know, some people are even talking about him potentially being manager of the year, like a few weeks ago, against how mental this season's been when they were in that, that, that run of potentially getting away from the bottom, the bottom three. But, I, I genuinely believe, and I'm not, I, I, it's tongue in cheek, but I genuinely believe that he has been linked with Spurs because he looks and sounds good. And I think it's a similar thing with Hasenhutl in that he he has the sort of Klopp esque sort of feeling about it. He's called the, the Klopp of the Alps or whatever he's called. And, you know, he, it, the perception is, he's built that perception up. We mentioned it about Lampard. It's the same with Scott Parker. They've built a perception up that. Just isn't now being broken anymore. But this is the thing. This is you must have heard one of my podcasts previously where I've been quite open with my views on managers wearing cardigans. And okay, <laughs> Pep Guardiola's got a lot of form to to back it up, but but the cardigan is a big feature where like you know your achievements get overhyped by like one yeah. or two points because because you're wearing a nice cardigan. Yeah, um, yeah, and it's the same with like like the perception of certain managers gets them places like Mikel Arteta is only manager of Arsenal because he was Guardiola's assistant. That, that's the only reason. Let's not, let's, 
he might do a good job in the future. No, no drama. Everyone deserves a break. But that's the reason Arsenal appointed him. If he wasn't Guardiola's assistant, they wouldn't have gone and picked a rookie out or used to play for him. Like the, it wouldn't have happened. Um, Parker is another one. You know, he 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 looks the part. You know, Lamp, Gerard and Lampard. They've only got jobs at the clubs they got. They got them at that time for. So it works out sometimes. I'm not saying it, it doesn't. I'm not saying they're bad managers necessarily, but to get that initial break, that there's a lot of perception that goes into it. And yeah, in Parker's case, and you know. Guardiola and the clothes he wears, he could do anything, that guy. It, it doesn't matter. He looks good on the touchline. So that's all that matters. That's it. I, I've said that many times over the season about Parker and the, I don't really understand what the hype is. You know, they've, they've come in, they've been dreadful, they're going down and they weren't ever really, in my opinion, going to get out of it. So why does Scott Parker get... You know, people talk about him improving them defensively in the second part of the season and he did do that statistically but people don't talk about the fact that they can't score goals for shit and and you know that's that's how you win football matches you score goals and that's the big problem i would go as i would say right now today steve bruce is a better manager than scott parker i genuinely believe that but steve bruce has got a bent up nose and he dresses like he's uh going to watch a, a sunday league game on you know in the park down the road and old sort of tracksuit, whatever, and then Scott Parker dresses like he's going to a fashion shoot. And, 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 that and, seems to... and Steve Bruce says the most ridiculous things in press conferences as well. Doesn't help him. Steve Bruce, like, have you seen the bacon thing? Have you, yeah. have you seen, seen the bacon thing? I've got a t-shirt with him saying, look, genuinely, I have a t-shirt with him saying, how's the bacon, did you say, as a cartoon because of the thing we did in that press conference. Have you have either of you seen what yeah, I'm Yeah, I've seen it, yeah. And I the other have. week he was talking about he was talking about apple pie and custard, and these like he's just not not stylish, not cool, not fashionable. So, uh, yeah, basically, it's the, it's the same. It's going back to your house and hill point. It's exactly the same. Is he has this aura of being, you know, of being a, a clop light that that he probably was for a time, or or can be in a sense where everything's right, but there's too many times where it's gone wrong for him. Um, yeah, agreed. You mentioned about the. The, the nine nils. Agreed, agreed. Um, let's move on to our final category. And I'll start with you, Dan, on this one. Let's have your young player of the season. It's got to be Foden, isn't it? Uh, you know, I think there's there's a case, there's a case for Saka. Um, but, but Foden's just too good to ignore in that category. You know, he, he's not even 21. He doesn't feel like a young player because he's been doing bits for a little while but this is his breakthrough season really isn't it and um he, he's 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 the guy yeah uh, it's hard to to disagree <coughs> with that choice uh, let's let me just quickly address this comment because um as i always get in this on this channel uh, apparently i'm slagging off scott parker for the same thing that arteta has done i do think that arteta's um just touching on this i do think that arteta's character the way he dresses the way he carries himself and the fact that he speaks quite well has bought him time with a lot of Arsenal fans. And I think what he won over a lot of Arsenal fans when he first took the job. Um, but that's a manager sort of using their, I guess, their their abilities to, to win people over. Then you've got to deliver, though. And in Arteta's case, he hasn't really delivered yet. And, and Scott Parker hasn't delivered yet. But in Arteta, I see more potential than I see in, in, in Scott Parker. It's as simple as that for me. So it's not 
completely comparable. Um, Harry, let me come back to you. Let's let's have your young player of the season. Can I say Joe Willock again? No, if you again. want. <laughs> um, it's it's clearly Foden. I think DDL's right, and I think that Guardiola's managed him really well. I think there's a lot of point where people were saying that he needed to go out on loan and. You know, there was this weird comment that he made, was it last season or the year before, he said he's the most talented player I've ever seen. And it just felt so out of place at the time. I still think it is out of place because he's, he's messy and he has to and chubby. But, but um, yeah, I mean, the the way he sort of unleashed him at the right time and DDL's right, he just doesn't look like a young player. He doesn't look like a player that, that needs time for anything. He just looks like... He, you know, Grealish, Jack Grealish deserves a lot of credit this season, but Phil Foden, as a creative player, I know who can play out wide or play in the middle, Phil Foden is is miles ahead, and he's miles ahead of most of most players in that England squad. Um, and yeah, I mean, he just looks like a player who is is destined for for, for all of those superlatives and things that people have said about him for years, and he's been in and out of the team and should have gotten loan and all those things. Man City and Guardiola have managed him perfectly, and we're I mean, now seeing the, the the fruits of exactly what they've done with him, and they've been proven right. And there's no there's no question for me about anybody else. He's just been superb, and uh, yeah, it's just brilliant. Just for clarity, before I make my my selection, what's the cutoff age for the young player in you guys? I would say I would say twenty three is is the as the oldest you can be as a young player. In my okay, mind. so. I think I completely agree that Phil Foden um, is the most talented of the young players. I don't think there's any dispute about that. Um, as an Arsenal fan, I have to mention Bukayo Saka because yeah. he's had an, an excellent season. He's been versatile. He's been mature. He's stayed fit for the majority of it. He has had a few problems, but you know he's played a hell of a lot of games of football. But I'm not actually going to go with Bukayo Saka just because I feel like towards the back end of the season, in terms of his actual outputs, he's he's dipped quite a bit, and um, and you know he's he's looked out of sorts, and so I'm not going to go with Saka. I'm also going to go a little bit left field. It's not really left field, but I'm not going to go with Foden either. I want to give a shout out actually to Mason Mount, and the reason I'm going with Mason Mount is similarly to. It's similar, sorry, to the reason that DDL gave when talking about David Moyes earlier. He's someone who I didn't really see the hype about, and then he's impressed me. And because he's impressed me, I feel like he's at the forefront of my mind because we're talking about somebody who has literally stepped up in a Chelsea side full of expensive talent and has made himself their most important player. I genuinely believe that Mason Mount has made himself Chelsea's most important player. He does everything. He's dangerous in the attacking third, scores goals, creates chances, incredibly energetic, incredibly hardworking. I just think he's a really good all-round footballer. And um, and I think, you know, he deserves a shout. I completely agree that, um, that Foden is the most talented and I have no sort of arguments against you guys going with with Foden, but I think Mason Mount should be in the argument, at least in the debate. Yeah, I think with young player of the season, I look at it differently to player of the season. So Phil Foden, for example, isn't in, isn't in my team of the year, and he's not in my team of the year because I only feel he's had half a season where he's actually impacted. If that makes sense. 
So I think to get into the team of the year or be player of the season, you've got to do it for a whole season as opposed to as opposed to half a season. Whereas Mount isn't in my team of the year either, but he'd be closer to my team of the year, even though Foden. So I don't know if that makes any sense at all. But I think if you're a young player, you're saying, yeah. if you're a young player, you you know you're, you're looking for you're looking for a young player who has been the most talented, and that's why he gets a nod. But I agree with you in that Mount has. You remember the pod we did when we when we you asked the question about which of these players would you have in the England squad, and yeah. I think I think we all, particularly me, had Mount way way down that list. And since then, he's he's got very close to proving me wrong, certainly. Yeah, I was really annoyed by Gareth Southgate constantly picking Mount up until a few weeks, ago, a few months ago. Now, I, I wouldn't have a problem with it at all. So I can't I can't disagree. Um, but uh, yeah, good stuff, good stuff. Right, that brings us to the end. So we've picked our players of the season, our managers of the season, the overachievers, underachievers, signings, worst signings, biggest flop, and the young players of the season i wonder if we'll be uh, revisiting this at the uh, end of next season and looking at some of these players in a very different light but we'll have to wait and see only time will tell uh, my big thanks to harry and my thanks to dan for joining me big thanks to all of you guys for tuning in as well make sure if you are watching us via youtube that you hit that like button if you haven't done so already also Make sure you subscribe to the channel if you are new. It really, really uh, does help. And we'd love to see uh, the channel grow even further. If you are listening via the audio platforms, don't forget to leave us a review. That also helps. And check out our sponsor, manscaped.com. Get yourself sorted out. Summer is just around the corner. So if you want your pitch looking as lush as trim uh, as the Emirates Stadium, then head over to manscaped.com. Get involved. Discount code 90min20, 20% off, plus free worldwide shipping. We'll be back tomorrow with some more Arsenal-related content. Until then, take care of yourselves. I think I'm probably going to rename this show afterwards to Cardigans because I think that was uh, probably the most compelling point we discussed all night. But uh, brilliant stuff. I'll catch you all very soon. Until next time, take care. Ciao. listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.